A is waving his hat and giving a series of rousing cheers, we see B frowning dubiously. And the same is true of X and Z. Take this romance of Pongo's, for instance. I was hoping that he'd marry another girl, a particular protégé of mine whom I watched grow from a child, and a singularly fascinating child at that, to a young woman of grace, charm and strength of character, who in my opinion has everything. Among other advantages which she possesses is sense enough for two, which it seems to me is just the amount the wife of Reginald Pongo Twistleton will require. But it was not to be. However, let us look on the bright side, shall we? Oh, rather. Fine. Well, looking on the bright side, I haven't met this new girl, but she sounds all right. And, of course, the great thing is to get the young blighter safely married and settled down, thus avoiding the risk of his coming in one day and laying on the mat something with a platinum head and an Oxford accent which he picked up on the pier at Blackpool. You remember what a pushover he always was for the gentle sex. I haven't seen Pongo since we were kids. Even then he was flitting from flower to flower like a willowy butterfly. He was the Don Juan of his dancing class when he wore little Lord Fauntleroy suits, his heart an open door with welcome on the mat. He'll chuckle that sort of thing now. Let us hope so. But you remember what the fellow said. Can the leopard change his spots or the Ethiopian his hue? Or is it skin? And talking of Ethiopians, said Lord Ickenham, allowing himself to become personal, has someone been cooking you over a slow fire, or did you sit in the sun without your parasol? Bill Oakshot grinned sheepishly. I am a bit sunburned, aren't I? I've been in Brazil. I'm on my way home from the boat. You reside in this neighbourhood? At Ashenden Manor. Married? No, I live with my uncle. Or rather, he lives with me. What's the distinction? Well, what I mean is, Ashton really belongs to me. But I was only sixteen when my father died. And my uncle came barging over from Cheltenham and took charge. He dug in and has been there ever since, running the whole show. You'd think from the way he goes on, said Bill, stirred to unwonted loquacity by the recollection of his wrongs, that he owned the ballet place. Well, to give you an instance, he's pinched the best room in the house for his damn collection of African curios. Does he collect African curios? God help him. And that's not all. Who has a star bedroom? Me? No. Uncle Aylmer. Who collars the morning paper? Me? No. Uncle Aylmer. Who gets the brown egg at breakfast? Don't tell me. Let me guess. Uncle Aylmer? Yes. Blast him. Lord Ickenham stroked his moustache. A certain guarded something in your manner, Bill Oakshot, he said, suggests to me that you do not like having your Uncle Aylmer living at Ashenden Manor. Am I correct? Yes. Then why not bung him out? The truculence faded from Bill Oakshot's demeanour, leaving in its place embarrassment. He could have answered the question, but to do so would have involved revealing his great love for his uncle's daughter Hermione, and agreeable old bird though Lord Ickenham was, he did not feel that he knew him intimately enough. Oh, well, uh, he said, and coyly scraped a shoe like a violin case along the floor of a compartment. No, I don't quite see how I could do that. There are complications. Yes, complications. I understand. It was plain to Lord Ickenham that he had stumbled upon a delicate domestic situation, and he tactfully forbore to probe into it. Picking up his times, he turned to the crossword puzzle and Bill Oakshot sat gazing out of the window at the passing scenery. 
but he did not see the familiar fields and spinneys, only the lovely face of his cousin Hermione. It rose before him like some radiant vision, and soon, he reflected, he would be beholding it not merely with the eye of imagination. Yes, at any moment, now that he was back in England again, he was liable to find himself gazing into her beautiful eyes, or, if she happened to be standing sideways, staring at her pure, perfect profile. In which event, what would the procedure be? Would he, as before, just gape and shuffle his feet? Or would he, fortified by three months embracing Brazil, at last be able to shake off his distressing timidity and bring himself to reveal a silent passion which had been functioning uninterruptedly for some nine years? He hoped so, but at the same time was compelled to recognize the point as a very moot one. A tap on the knee interrupted his meditations. Uh, next stop, Ashenden Oakshot, Lord Ickenham reminded him. Eh? Oh, yes, that's right, so it is. You'd better be girding up your loins. Yes, said Bill, and rose and hauled down his suitcase from the rack. Then, as the train puffed out of the tunnel, he gave a sudden sharp cry and stood staring. As if unable to believe his eyes, he blinked them twice with great rapidity. But they had not deceived him. He still saw what he thought he had seen. Under normal conditions, there is about the station of Ashenden Oakshot little or nothing to rouse the emotions and purge the soul with pity and terror. Once you have seen the station master's whiskers, which are of a Victorian bushiness, and give the impression of having been grown under glass, you have drained it of all it has to offer in the way of thrills, unless you are one of those easily excited persons who can find drama in the spectacle of a small porter wrestling with a series of large milk cans. Placid is the word that springs to the lips. But today all this was changed, and it was obvious at a glance that Ashenden Oakshot was stepping out. From the penny in the stock machine at the far end to the shed where the porter kept his brooms and buckets, the platform was dark with what practically amounted to a sea of humanity. At least forty persons must have been present. Two, selected for their muscle and endurance, were holding aloft on poles a streamer on which some loving hand, which had not left itself quite enough room, had inscribed the words, Welcome home, Mr. Wilm. And in addition to these, the eye noted a silver band, some boy scouts, a policeman, a clergyman, a mixed assortment of villagers of both sexes, what looked like an infant's Bible class with bouquets, and an impressive personage with a large white moustache who seemed to be directing the proceedings. From his post by the window, Bill Oakshot continued to stand rigid and open-mouthed, like some character in a fairy story on whom a spell has been cast, and so limpid was his countenance that Lord Ickenham had no difficulty in analysing the situation. Here, he perceived, was a young man of diffident and retiring disposition, one who shrank from the public eye and quailed at the thought of being conspicuous, and for some reason somebody had organised this stupendous reception for him. That was why he was now looking like a stag at bay. Publicity was a thing from which Lord Ickenham himself had never been averse. He frankly enjoyed it. If silver bands and boy scouts had come to welcome him at a station, he'd have leapt to meet them with a whoop and a holler, and would have been out taking bows almost before the train had stopped. But it was plain that this young friend of his was differently constituted, and his heart was moved by his distress. 
The kindly peer had always been a practical man. He did not, as others might have done, content himself in this crisis with a pitying glance or a silent hand-clasp. Nip under the seat, he advised. To Bill, it seemed like a voice from heaven. It was as if, in the hour of deadly peril, his guardian angel had suddenly come through with something constructive. He followed the counsel without delay, and presently there was a lurch and a heave, and the train resumed its journey. When he crawled out, dusting his hands, he found his companion regarding him with open admiration. As neat a vanishing act as I ever witnessed, said Lord Ickenham cordially. It was like a performing seal going after a slice of fish. You've done this sort of thing before, Bill Oakshot. No, you amaze me. I'd have sworn that you'd had years of practice on race trains. Well, you certainly baffled them. I don't think I've ever seen a silver band so nonplussed. It was as though a bevy of expectant wolves had overtaken a sleigh and found no Russian peasant aboard, in which I could imagine nothing more sickening, for the wolves, of course. The shot was still quivering. He gazed gratefully at his benefactor, and in broken words thanked him for his inspired counsel. Not at all, said Lord Ickenham. My dear fellow, don't mention it. I'm like the chap in Damon Runyon's story, who always figured that if he could bring a little joy into any life, no matter how, he was doing a wonderful deed. It all comes under the head of spreading sweetness and light, which is my constant aim. Well, I shall never forget it. Never, said Bill earnestly. Do you realise that I should have had to make a speech, besides probably kissing all those ghastly children with the flowers? He shuddered strongly. Did you see them? About a million of them, each with a posy. I did indeed. 